Sure of the Music Explorers podcast, and I'm Jim Jam. As always, I'm Scoot Magoot. And um, we're just going to get into it. Uh, we are doing April album anniversaries, and we're starting off with an album that did not come out in April, <laughs> because uh, I'm stupid and trust Rate Your Music. Uh, though, though I guess uh, Rate Your Music over Wikipedia, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot yeah. <laughs> either way, so... <laughs> Nobody's perfect. You um, live and you learn if, it. If, if I can offer any advice to anybody, check your sources. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, do as we say, not as we do. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, we are beginning our album anniversary uh, today talking about uh, Speak No Evil by Wayne Shorter, which uh, I'll go out and say it is one of my favorite jazz albums ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll get into this a little bit more, but I feel like is really underrated like it really doesn't get enough love um i think we, we've discussed this before briefly right yeah because i remember you this is back when bull moose and salem was in like the old dingier location oh yeah and you were just i, I missed that you, yeah you were so stoked about getting that cd and, and i think i was just starting my exploration into jazz. And I, I mean, obviously I heard the name Wayne Shorter, but I was thinking, you know, Miles Davis, Coltrane, Coleman, uh, even Herbie Hancock. And just, it was not, it was not as familiar with uh, Speak No Evil. But I remember you got a copy and we, I think we listened to it on the way home. And, and just, even just the opening track alone is just such a, it, uh, you know, like, which hunt? Yeah, just yeah. quintessential, um, you know, quintessentially of golden era jazz or, you know, like, you know, quintet, quartet jazz, you know, back in that period. Mm. Um, I, you know, it's fine. I, I don't remember this, this memory of yours at, at all. That's, um, that's the beauty of memories, I guess. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but I, it doesn't, none of this surprises me. Um, but yeah, I, this is an album that I, I don't even know where I found out about this, but I, I just like glommed onto this album a long time ago and it just never let go. Um, it is, I, I guess let's just dive in because I, I, I have a little history here that, you know, so I guess this thing was recorded in 64, but didn't come out until 66, if I remember right. Um, and it was kind of when it was recorded, it was kind of at this strange place in Wayne Shorter's, uh, career because, uh, he was, at this time, he was part of sort of the second great quintet of Miles Davis. Uh, and so, and this is like kind of like a, you know, weird spot for Davis in between. Uh, basically, this thing was recorded after Kind of Blue and Sketches of Spain, but before the Electric Era. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you see, you, you can see a lot of parallels between sort of the albums that came out from Davis around this time and speak no evil in that you know there's a lot of uh kind of like modal freedom going on but at the same time you know it definitely doesn't feel like wayne shorter's you know kind of um just copying whatever miles is doing like Mm. this is definitely his own thing and you can really like i think what what really always speaks to me about this album is sort of the way it's able to sort of straddle line between simple and complex that like every track here has is like when it comes to its structure and sort of the way 
uh, sort of the main riffs get played out. It, it's very simple and just kind of like to the point. It, it never really feels like it's, um, you know, like like some sort of like really old school bebop recording where it's just like Dizzy Gillespie, you know, just freaking jacking off with the trumpet, basically. <laughs> you know, it, it, don't get me wrong. I, I, I love that shit. I like I really like that stuff. But I, it, I don't know. I, I just like the way, it, like, I like the dynamic that he puts into this. That like every every track doesn't. It it it, it presents a good like you know jumping off point. I guess is maybe the best way. And so like you know you can get some of that wild phrasing, but it's not through you know the fact that it's it's not through the music being wild and frenetic to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I. And I, I also, uh, I mean, it has one of the best personnel lineups that you'll find on, like, just any album. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Wayne Jordan on tenor, Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter on bass, and Elvin Jones on drums. They all do an amazing job. Um, God, I, <laughs> I, I actually, like, for a lot of these album anniversaries, I'll listen to the albums in question, like, once or twice. I listen to this every single day since we decided to talk about it <laughs> wow um and i just kind of i know it so weirdly well now and i and usually like i'm sick of an album by now but i really i just fucking love this thing um like it's, I, i've actually uh i've actually tried to play like actually play this thing on trumpet um wasn't always successful but you know it, it was fun that i, I that 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 uh, beginning phrase on uh, witch hunt is is particularly difficult because I'm really bad at trumpet. <laughs> but anyway, I, I I'm I'm rambling. Uh, let's let's just open it up. I, what, what do you have to say? <laughs> well, it's interesting because uh, one of the one of the things I love most. This is a great album. Uh, it's one of my favorite. Um, like I said, such a quintessential '60s jazz album from that era uh one of my favorite things about speak no evil is that it opened my you know it brought wayne shorter to my attention and it actually introduced me to juju the album that oh. came before speak no evil yeah but i actually prefer uh there's a specific phrase on like the main sax refrain on deluge the second track is one of my favorite sax refrains uh, you know of this I, era i can't um, remember it exactly because I, I i do like juju but it just it pales in comparison for me to, yeah. to speak no evil no and it's definitely it, it's a i mean there are some um album tandems in a band's discography where i i think you know one is overrated or like one is bad and another is good you know something like that i think both are great just for whatever reason yeah. i gravitated towards juju more which also is a great lineup you have mccoy tyner on piano uh and alvin jones on drum um and I think, regardless of, of which one you prefer, this specific stretch of time in Shorter's career, I think you're totally on the money. That, well, again, like I've said like 15 times already, it really does speak to a certain era in jazz history, mm. uh, very, very much his own. I mean, in Witch Hunt in particular, I really do love how it almost has a big band feel like the, the swanky, you know, the main riff, but obviously it's its own thing. And and it, yeah, I mean, this is, it's, yeah, it's hard for me to know what to say about jazz in this era, just because, um, 
a lot of it is just kind of mood. These these are kind of the definition of mood albums for me. It's yeah. just I like to put it on. That, you know, that's kind of what I like about this is that yeah, exactly. It, like I actually have this written down in my notes that uh, I I love how it takes uh, it's a sort of it it applies bops like you know bebops like complexity with modal like you know modal theories like flexibility, but then also that cool jazz like aesthetic kind of like it it, it feels like the best of both worlds or best of all worlds almost. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah. something I love is. Um, there's been times, you know, when Laura and I are hanging out, you know, I, I put on, you know, kind of blue or, you know, whenever you're at, at, like, we're at a nice restaurant and like jazz is, is playing something that's so great about this specific period in the genre, which I think speak no evil, you know, embodies so well is when it's just on in the background, it's just such a pleasant, creates such a pleasant atmosphere. Oh yeah. Um, definitely. But at the, at the same time. You know, if, if you know, lull in the conversation or like you're walking to the bathroom or whatever, you just, when you're able to just poke your head in and really, really focus on it, there's so much to be gained. You know, there's so much, um, so much, int- you know, interesting moments. There's so many interesting elements of what's going on here that it's just, in its own way, it resembles what we've talked about with ambient music, um, to a lesser extent, but that it, it really does um, work as something you listen to in the background, or something that you just sit down and actively try to focus on. It, it's it's yeah. a great, great I, period of, of music in general. I mean, but when I when I've been listening to this all week, I've been listening to it while I was writing, mm-hmm. and there are times I'll just kind of like sort of shift my focus towards the music, mm-hmm. and it's yeah, it it's just fantastic. Especially um, the track "Infinite" is is just one of my favorite jazz ballads and, and mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a sucker for a good jazz ballad um i just love how that song opens and it just feels so dreary like it, it mm-hmm. just like it makes me think of new york city like in the morning and kind of like like how like the manholes will like steam up and things yeah. like that like just like just like peak noir aesthetic kind of yeah absolutely uh, yeah just amazing um yeah i i honestly i i don't think there's like i i think if there's a flaw with this album i think maybe and this is more because of you know history than anything i think the reissue adds um uh an alternate take of um uh dance cadaverous i think and uh i mean a good take i you know and i i'm i'm more than happy to listen to it but it, it, it sometimes feels a little bit superfluous because I mean mm-hmm. Wildflower is just a great way to end an album as well. Um, yeah, I mean, r- really, it's just yeah. <laughs> I mean, alternate takes have always been a weird thing on jazz albums. I mean, I, there, there I, are. I think if, if we were more, um, you know, beret wearing, cigarette smoking, you know, <laughs> bebop listening jazz freaks, yeah, um, I, I think we would probably be a little more attuned to it a little more into it but i mean as it stands and considering that we have like kind of uh, odd taste in music um and kind of like a um impatience in in you know listening to one single thing and obsessing over it i mm-hmm. you know i just don't know if it's just it, it's perhaps not marketed in for us yeah yeah that, that that is that's totally fair but i agree that you know most times 
it's not that they don't necessarily detract anything from yeah. an album, but you're listening to it and you're like, I mean, this is good, but so was the original <laughs> version that I heard. I, I do remember, I, I, I think there are a few like legendary jazz albums that like have alternate takes put into their track list. But I think that's like when it came out, it's not, you know, like sort of posthumously done in a way. Mm. Um, it's not done with the reissue, but I, I mean, there have been some um, jazz albums that I've tried to listen to that just have like, you know, just like three or four or even five alternate takes at the end of the album. And I just like, it drives me insane. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I'm thankful that it's just this one single extra take. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> which I, I really like, I, I, I feel like a poor jazz fan in, mm. in not being able to discern the difference between the two takes. Uh, I, I'm sure it's probably more in like a solo order or like who takes a solo. Yeah. Um, but I, I just have no freaking clue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, again, it's not, not a detraction by any means, but um, honestly, like most records with bonus tracks, I, I can't say that they typically detract from an album. I don't know. I, yeah, I can't I, remember the last time I, I heard a bonus, I, it, bonus you, track. I mean, really, yeah. like, it, unless you're filling it with, like, you know, bonus tracks that maybe don't deserve to be there. Um, I mean, there have been times, I mean, I, I think we're getting a little off topic, but, like, yeah. I've had, like, um, I, I, I can't believe we're t- I'm going to talk about this album while we're talking about Speak No Evil, but um, Pure Heroin by Lorne, uh, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they... The deluxe version of that has a ton of awesome tracks to it, and I was really disappointed that it the there isn't like a deluxe CD version that has that, because there are some really really good songs on that thing that just didn't make the cut. But if it, for the most part, it's I mean I I can sort of take it either way as long as it like, you know I, I, I as long as it's not like you you know like that new trend of like rappers kind of like adding on to their albums like yeah. like uh not or um was it no, it's not nas i'm sorry um you know who i'm talking about the little yes what, what's his fucking name now is it like God. nav or a nav that, that's what it's got yeah talk about guy. he's he's just that forgettable i'm sorry but, uh yeah he did that with like i think last year that he just like did like a deluxe version of an album of like his latest album and it was just like an, an entire new fucking album on top of it that's not yeah usually but i think if you have more than like th- usually bonus tracks at most are like two or three more yeah. than that it's like you're just adding an, another ep like unless it unless that was on purpose unless it yeah was, I, I mean i i think yeah. it was kind of a stream trolling thing yeah oh absolutely mm-hmm. like unless you're like hey the bonus track is that here's an ep re-recorded like okay whatever but if you are just like randomly throwing four extra four or five extra songs out it's like okay that's like I was kinda, it, it's like, gratuitous. For, it's yeah, it's definitely yeah. kind of wasting your your audience's time. I mean, I I guess your audience wants to listen to your music though, so you know, yeah. splitting but, hairs. But especially if an album is uh, classically composed in the sense where it's written in a way that the f- the finale to the album feels like a finale, like the last mm. few tracks. You know, usually it's like the album kind of feels like it ends, and then you have like a, maybe a couple bonus moments. But if it feels <laughs> like it ends. And then suddenly you're listening to four or five extra tracks. That's a, it's a little that, bit of a weird sensation. That's an interesting idea because you know now you think about like think about like a concept album. Like when does a concept album ever have like a bonus track to it? 
Yeah, because that would that just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. You're supposed to. I think of you know a couple of weeks ago we talked about Tallahassee. Like if Tallahassee randomly had extra bonus tracks, that would make seeing as the last track is is the two protagonists. No, maybe dying. if it was like a live track, I don't know. Like sometimes, like yeah. I know um, at the end of uh, Thick as a Brick, uh, Jethro Tull adds like a. Um, I think they add a live version, which I don't yeah. know why they did that because it's like a you know forty minute song. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they also do like add like an interview to it, which again, not a big fan of. But I mean, it's it's been done. Yeah. Um, but, but I guess that, that's a good point. It's something that is so so obviously removed from the album. You know, it's live or like it's a demo. But if it's if it's like another studio quality track, it's like that's a little weird. But yeah. Anyway, um, so to kind of bring it back, uh, do you have any final words about Speak No Evil before we kind of move on? No, I mean I, I totally agree that this is it's something that. Um, it's definitely a little underrated way and shorter um, in general. So if you haven't listened to him, I I totally, there are some great miles albums with him, you know, but I, I really urge people to listen to like some of his solo stuff as well. Cause Mm -hmm. it's, it's worth it. It really is. I mean, really anybody who worked with miles Davis around this time is worth exploring. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Okay, so next up, we're talking about um, Sticky Fingers by the Rolling Stones, which is kind of an odd choice for us, uh, because, I mean, I don't really consider myself a huge Stones fan, um, basically because I really have only listened to this album, and I'm kind of okay with just chilling with this album for the most part, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you've never listened to to the Rolling Stones, if I remember right. No, I, I mean like a you know name you know. Can't yeah, yeah, but I'm talking paper. about like a full yeah. album. I've never like, listened to a full album, no. So yeah. I think when I saw this on the list of albums that you re- you re- you know suggested, I said you know what, why not? Because I yeah. wasn't really feeling some of the other choices, and I was you know I've been wanting to check out a full Stones album for quite a while. So I thought yeah. this would be an interesting time and context to to do that. Yeah. Well, so just a little couple little things. Uh, I mean, first thing, this thing turns fifty this year this month which is which you think of them as classic rock but even that seems like yeah that's a lot I mean, speaking of evil is 55 i mean it's just yeah i don't know it's yeah but um i think what's interesting i mean i i this is a very very small thing it's just they're still going like oh yeah after yeah. 50 years and like it's it's not even like they're like some you know grandpa band trying to like hold on to their fame like they still have it like that's the weird thing like, like, yeah. If they not still for had COVID, they attention. would still be torn. They would, you know, yeah. they'd be out there. Mick Jagger would be doing his thing on stage. It's, yeah, it's pretty, it, pretty crazy. Yeah, and it wasn't even like, like you know, Rolling Stones had like their fucking eighties period that people actually paid attention to. It like, it, it's just bizarre. Like their career is so weird yeah. in my mind. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 aside from the fact that Mick Jagger just does not seem to be able to die. Um, <laughs> Mm. Uh, Sticky Fingers is kind of oh, an interesting place in their catalog. Uh, this is like their first real studio album without Brian Jones uh, intervening at all in its making because he had passed, I think, like two years before this thing. And uh, another kind of weird thing that I only learned this week is that uh, this album is actually the first appearance of like the famous uh, the uh, the lips and tongue logo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because really? like, that is so ubiquitous. With I mean, I know, like, right? 
But interesting. This is the album that it was, and like this is like, I think like their eleventh album or something like that. They're like, no- is the ninth? Oh, ninth British and eleventh American. Yeah, That's interesting. like it's it, if you look into the Beatles history as well, they have a lot of those where there are a couple of like they're like more British albums than American or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's <laughs> so it's an interesting thing. I, I guess they kind of tone things back instrumentally, even though you you hear a lot of like horns and other things like that uh, on this thing. But yeah, I. I, I kind of want to turn over to you because, I mean, I, I feel like most people will at least be familiar with some parts of this album. Um, oh, so I oh, feel like oh, it, it, it's kind of irrelevant to talk about the musical style of it almost. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when I turn this on, I mean, it's, it's kind of like I've, I've said before that when I finally said, okay, I'm going to listen to the Beatles and I, you know, was really plowing through all their albums i was like oh i know this song oh, like i felt i yeah. felt like i said that like three times at least every album i was like oh i know like i didn't know what it was called but like you just they're so pervasive in our culture and kind of the same thing here i mean most of these songs sounded familiar you know brown sugar wild horses brown were, were, sugar. were like super i was like oh fuck i know this song like uh, duh you know this is clearly a stone song i mean it's really hard yeah. to mistake mick jagger's voice um i thought this was really fun it, I, I don't think um, I really stocked up on a lot of Rush after Neil Peart died, and I was pleasantly surprised on how, uh, maybe not pleasantly surprised, but just I never really listened to a lot of full Rush albums other than like moving pictures, and yeah. there are so many great deep cuts. Uh, I think with this album, uh, there, there were no songs I disliked, but it kind of sounded like, um, I mean, it sounded like late 60s early 70s rock which is exactly what you know that, that's li- literally what this is and there's nothing wrong with that and i really enjoyed it but um it didn't really um it didn't exceed my expectations and it it didn't you know fall below i, I guess the word for that is met your expectations i don't know why i danced yeah. around that but no, I, I, yeah. I i get what you mean though because i i think i think the way you worded it is probably more accurate because i mean we're talking about you know a band like the rolling stones you know, it's it's not like we're, we're like, oh yeah, we were crate digging and we found like this obscure like kraut rock band. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Um, I I was like, I, I actually really like this album. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I would ever call it like I, I would probably never put it in like a favorite albums list, but like I, I mean, see, he, he, the thing is, like, I I come from a family of uh, Beatles fans, mm-hmm. and so um, I think in a lot of cases the two bands are like almost rivals in a way, even though that's yeah. historically not the case at all. Like the Rolling Stones actually show up in some Beatles albums mm-hmm. just in, in very obscure ways. Um, but like, so I, I mean, as a result, like my parents, you know, hated the Rolling Stones. And so I, I kind of, you know, hated them as a result. Um, I think part of it too is just like, uh, it, I, I think so I, I as like a teenager you know I mean like I, I've said this before on the podcast that like my my like eye-opening musical experience that like got me started on this whole thing was hearing back in black for the first time and oh, just being like yes. so like just blown away by like the, that riff um and so like as a, so w- when people are like oh yeah the Rolling Stones are like a real hard rock band like they're so rock and etc cetera, etc cetera. and just like I listened to like something like paint it black which you know not the best example, but like still, I listen to that and I'm like, this is a rocking band, and like, you know, so listening to this, like, 
I can kind of get what they say. I don't necessarily completely agree with them, but like, I I liked being able to hear this side of them. Like, I liked being able to yeah. actually hear what they could do when they really kind of like let the beast out of his cage. Um, you know, uh, but but there are like some slower cuts on this thing. I mean, like you know, Sway and Wild Horses, which are like the second and third tracks of this fucking album. Yeah, are are much much more somber uh, than you'd expect. Um, I actually have the CD right here, so I'm just gonna look over. Um, <laughs> oh my god, I, I still can't get over the the back cover of the CD because mm. it just has like the 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 guy in his underwear. Yeah, um, it's so. funny we were talking about uh, die cut. Records, oh yeah, and you mentioned that, so I googled it, and I was like, I don't know what I was expecting, but there, yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, uh, for, for, I, I don't know if there's anybody who wouldn't know this, but yeah, uh, the original vinyl version of Sticky Fingers was designed by Andy Warhol, and it featured a zipper that would basically open up to you know show basically the the jeans that are on the front cover. There's underwear under that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but apparently, like, it would damage the vinyl itself. Uh, so oh, they, interesting. Yes, yeah, so they ended up getting rid of it. Um, but I'm just looking at it, like it, it, I, I just I, I like the variety because like you know I got the blues and like Sister Morphine are like pretty low key. Uh, especially I don't know just like I always got this the I always thought of the Rolling Stones as like you know kind of like Hellraisers before like metal and like hard rock was really a thing, mm-hmm. uh, which means that like you know in, in in all things like all things considered they were pretty tame but yeah yeah you know, it, it, i know it's, it's like Mick Jagger, have you burned down any churches in norway yet well then fuck <laughs> you <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, but like i don't know i just like you know a song like bitch or like uh can you can't hear me knocking which i like i love both those tracks i don't know i just i i like the variety on this thing and yeah uh, for sure i think maybe it's just because i think at this point in time, I really have gotten uh, a real taste for the blues. I really like the blues, mm-hmm. and um, you know, so to hear them really taking it and using it, um, I in like actually liking blues, I guess it makes it a lot more palatable for me. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's like they, I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, if you've never listened to a Stones album, uh, which is is really strange but um i i really think this is a good place to start because it's not like there's anything particularly difficult or annoying in it Mm -hmm. um whereas like i think some other records you know might be a little more challenging uh which is again maybe not the best choice of words to describe the rolling stones as but you know you know i not to keep going on this track but that was another thing is um i remember like i would try to like search through allmusic.com they would have like all these uh different like genres and whenever i would do a search for like experimental rock for some reason rolling stones would always show up there <laughs> yeah uh and i mean to be fair i've never listened to exile on main street um i mean i'm assuming it's a little more out there than this but still i i just don't see how that qualifies i, mean, I guess at all i guess come comparatively you know if you you know the what other people who listen to rolling stones typically listen to i i guess to them it would be a little bit that's like okay so, so the, this thing 
This thing came out in 1966. Well, no, no. Uh, Speak No Evil came out in 66. So that means this thing came out in what, like 671, I want to say? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, you know, we're talking about like Bitches Brew, like the electric era of Miles Davis is already a thing. Uh, by this time, you know, I think Coltrane's already started doing free jazz. There's already a huge, like, you know, kind of a nascent free jazz scene going on in, like, Europe and things like that. You know? <laughs> it's just, like, Krautrock is is kind of starting up. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, like, I, I mean, I, I, I always pull this card, but it's just, like, you, like, most people who consider this experimental, it's, it's more like they their their own musical worldview is is not as wide as maybe it should be if they're going to oh, yeah. be throwing around a word like experimental and and I'm I mean I'm not saying that I'm the end all be all when it comes to that this you know like there are th- there are so many things that I do not know when it comes to music and music history like there are just so much like just so many genres I have to listen to things like that so you know but it's just I don't know. Just to look at this, I'm like, I, I guess it's groundbreaking for its time, but I mean, that's not saying a ton. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's, uh, it's, it's very. I, I don't know. Again, I just, I think it's very much a comparative. I mean, as much as you can say something's objectively true or not true, I mean, that's just not, it's not true at all. It kind of reminds me when we read that Radiohead documentary, and they. Or that, that yeah, we read the, the we read the, the documentary. <laughs> we, we read we, the documentary. Yeah, we read that uh, biography. Thank you, or or book. Okay, it's been it's been a long day. I I mean um. the the thing to be fair that is like it, it's an odd book. It's not yeah. really a biography, but it's not really like a history either. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I was I was gonna say before I totally butchered my words uh, was you read it and he I think he described Octon Baby by U two as experimental and oh, i actually yeah. i actually put on the album not like all of it a little bit and i was like i don't really agree <laughs> with that but it's just you know i guess it's it's compare if you compare it to their back catalog and perhaps what mainstream rock was doing at the time you could be like okay like i guess i yeah you know i guess i can see that um but it's like it's just, it, it, it's, it's just like it's it's kind of a weak argument to make i guess yeah yeah, yeah. um Okay, do you have anything else you want to say here before, yet again, we move on? Um, no, I mean, I'm really glad that I I checked it out. You know, I'm definitely definitely interested in listening to some of their other albums that are more acclaimed. Yeah, um, me too. I, I, I think next time I go to Bulmus, I'm probably going to pick up, like, Let It Bleed. Because um, Gimme Shelter was, like probably the first Rolling Stone song that actually made me think like, Hey, I might actually like this band. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. It's again, like I said, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't blow me away. Cause I, I've also heard that they're a little bit more experimental than your, you know, your run of the mill rock band from this era. But I mean, it, it was kind of what I expected, which is not a bad thing. You know, didn't absolutely blow me away. You know, but it's kind of like when I first dove into Bowie. Like it, it kind of met my expectations. It, it, it gave me that era of rock, you know, glam, whatever. But then, it also, uh, it, it also had some really interesting experimentation. I would say. Like, yeah. I feel like it really did. You know, push the envelope a little bit. He, he um, he's an alligator. He, he's a mama papa coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. Uh. So we're going to jump ahead, uh, I think, 20 years 
and uh, we are going to talk about uh, Blue Lines by Massive Attack, which is mm. their debut album, and it's widely considered to be the first trip-hop album, uh, but I think there's a couple of sort of things be- that come before it, but I think they're mostly like singles, and actually one of them is by The Wild Bunch, who, you know, eventually became Massive Attack. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think similar to Speak No Evil, I, I feel like this album doesn't get a ton of love, or at least be, I think just because, you know, when you have an album like Mezzanine in your discography, just everything else gets just like outshined. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, we talked about, I talked about this album, I think last year when we did, uh, our Sonic Youth episode, um, cause it was my album of the week then. And I, I mean, I, I really enjoy this thing like a lot and I, I, it's weird, but I, I like a lot of the deep cuts a lot more. Like five man army is, is possibly my favorite massive attack song. <laughs> like, I just think it's like one of just like the most badass songs ever, mm-hmm. ever made, honestly. <laughs> but, um, anyway, I, you know, because I, I don't think we, we me and you have, have talked about mezzanine a lot and we've talked about, um, I think, you know, I, when when Massive Attack sort of has been, like, trying to, like, put out a couple of these EPs over, like, the last, like, five or six years. But not much beyond that. So Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was really interested to listen to this because I, I must have listened to at least part of it at some point, but I don't remember doing that extensively. I don't know if I gave it a, a full listen. Uh, I think I've just really gravitated towards Mezzanine. I mean, everything about Mezzanine. Justifiably so. Yeah, yeah. I mean... From the cover to, I mean, mezzanine's even just a cool, cool word to say, honestly. Yeah. Um, and what I really got out of this experience is um, mezzanine, and, and this is not like a controversial opinion, I can't imagine, but mezzanine is very much more on the trip end of the spectrum, and I felt like Blue Lines was more on the hop end of the spectrum. Um, what I, I liked a lot about Blue Lines is that it had a lot more of the... Um, the trip hop you would expect i mm. think like it just like, like when you think of trip hop you think of you know trippy hip-hop but i feel like yeah, mezzanine, I, I, I think of like portishead but yeah, yeah exactly but like yeah. i feel like mezzanine is just kind of its own thing you know it's just like it's just it, it's so um it's such a unique i don't know like, like every time i put it on there's some albums you listen to where it just doesn't sound like anything i know trip hop's kind of a niche genre so that's a little bit easy to do but with blue lines, uh, I I really like the fact that it felt more like a like a true hip hop album. Like it, it felt more like a hip hop album that was doing something really really unique and interesting. Whereas mezzanine just kind of takes that to a whole another level. But um, yeah, I mean, there's also an album in between the two. By yeah. the way, um, protection, which I I it's fine. <laughs> it's but does it feel like a bridge? Um. It's been a few years since I've listened to it, mm. but I feel like it, it it reminded me more of Blue Lines than Mezzanine. Mm. Um, so w- when you say more trip than hop for Mezzanine, do, do you mean just kind of like the whole like kind of darker aesthetic, like that type of thing and sort of like more of like the psychedelic type of side uh, of it? Or This is a little bit of a, uh, I guess, speaking to my my listening philosophy, if you can call it that. I don't think I could say that without sounding a little pretentious, but uh, <laughs> <Braids> that, on. <laughs> yeah. But, but something that I, I notice a lot is as 
bands progress, it almost feels, and I noticed this, it started really with metal primarily, is that on a band's first album, they're very like, here's song one, here's song two, like they're just writing, you know, they're very, you know, focused, a little bit of blinders on. And then as their career progresses, they're a little bit more comfortable giving their songs room to breathe, being a little bit more adventurous, not necessarily sticking to a specific formula. And I think that's what I hear going into mezzanine, like to me, but like, like more of a more of a plan. You mean? Yeah, like I, I like more focus. Blue lines really had a lot of what I would expect from '90s, like early '90s era hip hop. Like just some like you know straightforward beats with some really interesting ideas. But the songs definitely felt like they were going, you know, more more you know straight straightforward direction in the sense of if they weren't really. Um, like I just feel like mezzanine; those songs just take. Like I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember the. Let me just quickly click through. I'm trying to remember the specific track name. Uh, I'm so bad with track Wait, names. Rising but, Sun. Uh, uh, yeah, Rising Sun. It's like yeah. I just feel like that song is just. It's going nowhere and everywhere at the same time, and I don't even mean nowhere in a negative way. I just feel like you put it on, and it's just you're in this really unique kind of you know crazy world. Oh um, yeah. I, yeah, but that like see that, that's actually why I like Five Men Army so much because it reminds me of Rising Sun. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it, and again, I'm not taking anything away from Blue Lines. I actually yeah. really enjoyed listening to this, but I felt like it was very much, um, really much the stepping stone. Like I, I heard a lot of what would ultimately become Mezzanine on this album, and, and I'm actually interested to listen to Protection now. Uh, there are some bands where you just really gravitate towards one album like i feel like i just i i love mezzanine so much that i just kind of you know i just i, I stick with that and like i've never really ventured more into their discography but i kind of feel like that's a mistake now after finally listening to blue lines in full i i, I want to listen to protection again i i just i remember not enjoying it and, and not in a i hated it but more like there's so much other stuff like that's in their discography that I'd rather be listening to, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess to if we're going to take it back to more blue lines, I don't. I, I see. I I kind of like the scrappiness of the sound. Like I I kind of like how just the sounds really vary in a way. Like it's not. I, I I'm usually a fan of more of like a cohesive experience, and I I think there is in a way because you have a lot of these like you know Horace Andy shows up on like a bunch of tracks here and. You know, you just you you can feel everybody's touch on each track. Mm. Um, but I, I I don't know, like you know, you you start off with "Safe from Harm," which has like this really groovy type of feel to it, like exactly what I would imagine trip hop would sound like if I had never mm-hmm. listened to it before. Um, but then you go to "One Love," and you're just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like I remember, like when I was first listening to Blue Lines, I was like. Yeah, this is this is kind of repetitive, and uh, I mean, I I think if if, if I'm gonna have one um, complaint about this album, I think it's that like Horace Andy kind of doesn't always um, sort of fit the songs sometimes. Like I like One Love, just like I I think it's more like he he has a very particular vocal style, and I think it can you know if if used sparingly, it, it's very nice. But if used way too much, it can be a little grating. And I feel like Blue Lines might border on that 
slightly. Yeah. But that being said, like, I still really enjoy One Love and, like, you know, um, I think Big Wheel, uh, which is, like, his other really big feature on this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> I really enjoyed this thing. Um, I I've definitely listened to it more than Mezzanine lately. Like I, I genuinely don't think I've listened to Mezzanine in possibly the last two years. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it's more. I think that's more because I just, I just have so much music on my shelf that yeah. it like I just forget about it. And also because like you know, if you look at the spine for the CD version of Mezzanine, like the letters are super tiny so i just my eye just naturally like you know like forgets about it it just kind of like goes over it and doesn't recognize it <laughs> oh interesting that's funny. yeah yeah like, I mean, sometimes that happens with uh with um think of a specific example imperial triumphant um, oh yeah uh, that, i have bio, lux- bio luxury it's it's such a thin uh package like it's such a thin you know so a lot of times i look over i'm like wait what's that oh yeah i love that album and you know i just forget about it Um, or like uh i I have a couple of like death grips albums that like aren't technically on cd and i just like burn them on cdrs and like i just my my eye just skips over that all the time yeah but i mean i i really like blue lines I, i i really like i think it's just such a cool sounding album i love how i don't know see see i i guess I slightly disagree with you here because I I feel like it's so its own thing even here like mm. you know I I mean to be fair like Massive Massive Attack definitely doesn't have as much of a voice as they will on the subsequent albums mm-hmm. you know but I feel like what they've done here is just so different from everything else cuz like I don't know like when I think of like 90s you know hip hop you know I think of like Illmatic and I think, like, you know, Enter the Wu-Tang. And, I, I mean, I, I I guess that's more, like, hardcore hip-hop and, like, you know, verging on, like, you know, what they would call, like, gangster rap. But, like, I don't know. I, I just don't... Like, even, like, something like A Tribe Called Quest or, like, De La Soul, like, I just don't really see the resemblance a ton. Because it just, like, I think... It always felt like Massive Attack was coming at this music from more of an electronic side as opposed to a hip-hop side, I guess, is maybe the best way to look at it. Or at least yeah, the, uh, the, I can the, see that. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, you know? I don't, I don't think it's one v one by any means, but I, yeah, I, I hear more of, you know, if I, if I was new to the trip hop scene, someone was trying to explain hip, you know, trip hop to me, I guess I would hear more of the hip hop elements in yeah. Blue Lines, but it's definitely its own thing. And I think yeah, to, to I, kind of I, kind of echo what you were saying earlier, uh, I always, <laughs> I think about this with certain styles and genres. I think back to when. Um, Fantana reviewed, uh, well, I think it was, I don't remember the name. I think it was called Cursed. It was a Rotten Sound album. Uh, and is it the Exit one? Is it like the the latest Rotten no, Sound album? It was the one. It was one. It was a few years ago. I think it was like 2012 or 2011. Yeah, but he like, said that like on on first listen, he was like, yeah, but like on like listen number four or five, he's like, uh, and like <laughs> to me, unfortunately, that's kind of how I feel about. Um, trip hop in general it's just a genre that uh, after a while it, it it wears on me and that's true mm-hmm. of a number of like really long doom albums uh, shoegaze like there's a number of albums where I just after a while I'm like I'm, I'm kind of all set yeah um, but 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 while it's happening you know it's just it's when I get towards the end I'm like okay like I, I'm kind of you know I'm kind of ready for this album to be over but 
um, I, I love it while it's happening and, and I'm always always glad when I revisit you know mezzanine for the first time in, in however long and, and I guess hopefully next time we go to Bull Moose I will add blue lines to that list yeah dude blue lines is super good um, I think you know I, I I think of it like you know getting tired because I, I, I definitely get what you mean like I can get tired of like trip hop but I think it's more like t- trying to explore beyond like a massive attack because I mean I've tried to get into Portishead so many fucking times now, dude. And I just cannot wrap my mind around it. I I just really do not enjoy their music, to be totally honest. Um, you know, and like it, it's just like it's really tough to go beyond that because like I think the only other trip hop album that hasn't been by either of those bands uh, has been like Becoming X by Sneaker Pimps that like i've actually enjoyed <laughs> and that, even then i have listened to that album for like at least five years <laughs> it is really interesting how it's it's i mean obviously there are bands that employ trip-hop elements but it's when you think of trip-hop you really think of massive attack and porter's head like they're yeah. just they're one of those genres where those well, are it's but i think part of it is like it, it's a very regional uh yeah, genre like it, it's it, like a bit like kraut rock in that because it's it's almost completely tied into bristol and just i mean originally like you know massive attack was the wild bunch and even like even before that the wild bunch were just a bunch of uh graffiti artists you yeah. know so there's actually a, there's a book about this exact thing about sort of the elements that you know sort of gave rise to all this art coming out of bristol in the 90s and like in the late 80s I, I can't remember the name but i really want to read it at some point because it looks super interesting and i'm a real sucker for i i i think i've said this before but i mean just like that phrase but i i, I really like learning about like music scenes like i find that really interesting um mm-hmm. but yeah so i guess we really haven't talked about the album a ton it's it's just i i I don't. I I just really fucking love this thing. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's probably the worst thing to say on a podcast. It's supposed to like explain these things, yeah. but um, yeah, just I, I think it. If you've listened to Mezzanine and you haven't listened to this, just just do it. Just put it on yeah. for. I mean, and it, it, it's not going to be Mezzanine. Like it's not. Like it's 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 much more uh, colorful. I would say, you know, in. Uh, you know scrappy and kind of raw but it it really just for what it is i i really enjoy it so yeah absolutely i'm really glad that i finally you know finally checked it out yeah okay now we are going to be moved to our last album that turns 20 this month and it is mutter by uh romstein 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 (laughs) i think it's romstein yeah whatever well I, i i'm just going off of the um (laughs) <laughs> the, the, remember the, the, the self-titled song just, um, yeah. oh man I could listen yeah. I could listen to, like one of my favorite uh, so I mean, I mean I'll just usually we wore up to the albums we cover but like when yeah. you when you shared that this album was turning 20 I just audibly said oh fuck yeah yeah because I honestly can't my dad had a CD copy of this and this is I mean this is back when I used to bring my CD player to school so like this was a while ago I just non non fucking stop man just this this was such a this is one of the most important metal albums for me i listen to this non-stop I, this rammstein is just such a great band dude yeah 
like this toxicity by system of a down and then uh like a rotation of corn albums my dad had i just i like i just played the hell out of it um and yeah like this i don't know where it ranks in terms of like it just for whatever reason my dad bought this album so we had it uh, i don't know where it's like generally regarded in their it's, discography it's usually it, it's usually top um, yeah i think it's, it's either that or i think Seshunt, however you say that whatever it is yeah i, I can't yeah, the, say that i speak german the the, well. the the one where like all the band members are wearing like metal sex stuff oh her hair's allied no, oh no yeah 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 essentially uh, herzelide is the debut that looks like the hitler youth poster oh yeah, yeah. yes and, indeed which that I, as well. I i really enjoy that album um there are some great tracks on it and i i have yet to really listen to a romstein album that like i don't enjoy yeah uh, like, even the latest one like it's definitely not my favorite but i really fucking like it <laughs> yeah i remember um, we listened to that and it, it brought like all types of memories yeah back. i i get what you mean because i you know i think last week we were we were reviewing uh that ote oni album and you were talking about uh you know music and you know i think we were talking about to like a lesser extent kind of media that scared us and um I, is actually one of those bands for me uh initially because uh i well so the first time i ever heard Ramstein was uh mine hearts brent but it was it was that chorus and Okay, th- this is going to be a real, real niche pull. But do you remember a Flash animation called uh, "Decline of Video Gaming"? By any chance? It, it was um, on. Uh, it was on Newgrounds for a long time. That oh, that is a flashback, and I don't. I'm sorry. What was the name again? It's called "Decline of Video Gaming." No, yeah, yeah, it, it, it didn't. So yeah. I always watched this. I watched this thing like at least 50 times when I was, when I was like a teenager, I loved this video, even though I didn't know any of the references they were making to it and during it, because they were just, they were talking about like Konami games and like Square Enix games. And like, you know, the only video games I think I had played until that point were like Pokemon and Mario. So, but, um, Meinhardt's Brent was like the opening credits, uh, song for some reason. Uh, and I never associated with it until I had finally listened to this album in like full. Uh, you know, many, many years ago. But that, and um, I think once I knew about Romstein, I uh, I listened to Fire Fi, or however you say that track. And, yeah. like, that album, like, that, or that album, the, that song, the beginning of that song, really creeped me out. Because it, it's just, like, it sounds evil, kind of. <laughs> like, and not, like, in, like, a uh, black metal evil type of way. More, and it's, like, it it feels like it's going to like you know sneak into your bedroom at night and like curl up right next to you be- before stabbing you in the throat kind of like it it has like this menacing but like seductive kind of aesthetic about it which i guess is Ramstein's whole thing if you really think about it <laughs> cuz yeah, but... they're just like always singing about love if you ever if you ever read any of their lyrics, it's always about like love songs and stuff like that. But it sounds so aggressive <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, I mean, it's I I don't know. Even when he's singing relatively tenderly, Till just has such a like a intense yeah voice. It's like impossible oh, to sound. Oh, you, you know what was another? I I mean, I I doubt this is uh, singular to me, but uh, watching I, because they, they're in they're at the beginning of the movie Triple X with Vin Diesel. Mm. Oh, yeah. you know what? That's that's probably why 
Um, I think Fire... Yeah, that's probably what my dad bought. Fire, fire. Yeah. Bang, bang. <laughs> yeah. They, I, so, yeah, I... After listening to this album in full, you know, so many years ago, I just... Yeah, it, it's just such a fun album to listen to. Uh, it's, like, every song is just really, really well written. All the instrumentation just works. Till's vocals are always really on point. Um, and just, yeah, but, like... And some of it is just so fucking creepy. Like, you know, hearing hearing the beginning of Fire 5 for the first time, I was like, am I supposed to be listening to this? Like, uh-huh. like it, it kind of, like, especially, I think, at the time, because, you know, stupid American teenager, I'm like, oh, like, he's singing in German, and he sounds kind of evil, you know? <laughs> so, like, immediately my mind's like, oh, is this, is this like, a like a bad, like, a, le, le, like, a bad song? <laughs> like, made by a bad man, yeah. <laughs> in a way? <laughs> which is is not the case at all it's just yeah i Um, mean this was just such a a a trip down memory memory lane for me yeah Uh, like you know mine hurts brent the the uh the the symphonic nature of that was so great oh yeah links to and then uh, like one of my favorite songs like sonet like where he counts down says out and there's a yeah or or just a ish <laughs> and and w- one of the things I always got away with, got away with is that because they were singing the, singing a different language, my parents never checked the lyrics. Oh like, yeah, Ryan Rouse, which I'm almost positive, I think it means in out. Like <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, well, y- you know that Romstein means rhyming stone. <laughs> oh, I thought it was named after like an, an air force base in Germany. I, that I, mean, was I, what... I think it is, but it means rhyming stone. Well, either way, you know that's. <laughs> that's <laughs> But I remember, like, the first time I heard Ryan Rouse, like, even if I didn't know what the lyrics were, I'm like, this sounds really sexual. Yeah. I mean, I mean even if you take away the, you know, the, the moaning woman in the background, just like that, da, 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 like, Ramsey has never been a band to shy away from, uh, you know, the more seductive of, of life's gifts. They're, they're <laughs> one of one of the least subtle bands I've ever encountered. <laughs> yeah, but but it's I I feel like it, it's that lack of subtlety that makes them so great in a way. Yeah, no, like, I mean for sure. It, like like it, if if they were just like, you know, if it was like a wink wink nod nod like nudge nudge type of thing, like I don't think it would be as fun. Like, you know, like oh my god, we were talking about this last week. The um, the 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 song Pussy. Uh, yeah, that, that came out with one of their later albums. The video for that just features like full hardcore sex in it. So you have to like, like I think you can only find like the uncensored version on like Vimeo. <laughs> shit. Wow, <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, I I was actually looking into um, the lyrics for the track Zwitter today. Zwitter, yeah, and it's, uh, it's apparently about, like... Zwitter is German for hermaphrodite. Yeah. So, uh, but it. It's an interesting, like, you know, you, you think that these guys are, like, you know, I don't know, almost, like, on, like, the point of, like, cloud rappers when it talks about, like, you know, just fucking and partying. But, like, the lyrics for Zvitter are, like, really interesting. Like, it's all about, like, this person who, like, is in love with themselves. And so they're, they're you know, they're kind of using the, you know, like, the sort of the theme of a hermaphrodite as, like... I, I, like you know to as like a metaphor basically for someone who's so in love with themselves yeah it, it, it's it's really it was it was an interesting read like yeah you know and then not not to say that all of their uh songs do that but i mean because you know, pussy i mean <laughs> just 
the, I'm, I'm just saying that Rammstein can run the gamut, you know, when they want to. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, they were such an instrumental part of my upbringing. I, I mean, I, I loved everything about, really everything about them. And it was funny, like that one, I actually looked into, because I just thought Zvitar was such an interesting word, and I looked into those lyrics when I was younger, and then I, I quickly closed out of it because I was like, I don't want my parents to know what this is actually about. <laughs> Zvitar, like, Zvitar. But even, it's funny how sometimes in language where you can tell what someone is saying, like obviously the beginning of Sonne when he's like clearly counting down, like even mm. though I, you didn't, you know, didn't know what the German numbers were, it's like okay, that's obvious. But at the end of the, the like the bridge before the final chorus and speed there, he says like "fichte soft," and I'm like, I appreciate that he's saying "fuck yourself," and sure enough, that is what he's saying. <laughs> so uh, one interesting observation, and uh, I I just want to clarify, I don't mean this at all in a negative. It was just interesting, an interesting observation. Um, is how when I was younger, I thought the, literally I would never hear like heavier guitars in my life, and they were mm. so heavy. And this album is heavy, but the tuning is definitely more is closer to standard than like a lot of like the death metal and like heavier genres I've listened, to, like especially Doom since. And it was just it's funny how like as I listen back, even like Slipknot, like I've listened to older Slipknot albums, and like the it's not as heavy now as i remember feeling it was back in the day and just, mm. it's, it's i mean that's kind of for me was a little bit of a metaphor like it represented just how you know just listening to stuff i mean i remember listening to early death metal as if it was like the craziest and like black metal the craziest most evil like impenetrable thing ever and now it's just like that's what I listened to on Tuesday morning. It's just that's, yeah. you know, so it was just, it was interesting listening to it. I was like, I totally remember the guitars being a lot heavier than I think they are now. But again, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, they're still heavy, just like in terms of the tuning and like the actual sound yeah. of the guitar. I, I, I like, I, I feel the same way too. Just a, although like, I mean, I, I just, I don't listen to metal as much as mm-hmm. I really should anymore so you know to hear this i'm like yeah you know the, the, i mean i i'm pretty sure this is a lot heavier than a bjork album <laughs> yes that that is i can concede that is true uh. like yeah uh it's again by comparison <laughs> heavy by comparison um yeah i i think what's probably more interesting is is sort of how little like how few albums they have now even though this thing is 20 years old. Yeah, I was I was surprised that too. I was looking it up and I was like, wow, they really have not released a ton well, of music. They basically spent the last decade just doing something, but it, 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 I don't know if it was really working on this, what would become their self-titled album. Yeah. So, I don't know, dude. But, you know, uh, I, I wish them the best. I adore their music. So, you know, it it was it was great listening to this again oh um, my god yeah i mean honestly I, I just got so usually i listen to when we have albums to listen to for an episode um or an anniversary episode specifically i'll listen to them in sequential order just because that just is an easy way to which one do i listen to first mm-hmm. i put this the fuck on immediately because i was so yeah stoked to re-listen to i mean i haven't listened to this in years and i just i felt exactly like i felt back in the day um just awesome <laughs> so it's just really there's every track on this thing is just great i mean yeah absolutely yeah I, but but i i really don't think you can go wrong with like 
any Ramskino, but I mean, th- this is still their best for me. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, but Herzlide, uh, Herzlide uh, is like a very, very close second for me. Um, but I, I don't know why I, I just have like a thing for that album. It's I, I think maybe it's, it's the whole album cover because I just think it's so funny looking. Mm. In a way, it's just like a bunch of really buff dudes on just you know a new Deutsch Heart <laughs> record. It's yeah. fucking great. I approve. Uh, okay. Uh, do you want to talk about albums of the week? I do. Okay. Well, go, go for it. Um, so I had, a, I think I mentioned last week, I had an amazing haul at Red Scroll. Uh, love their $3 UCD shelves. Uh, and I actually already mentioned this album earlier in the episode. And I had, I just, I couldn't not pick it because I had the exact same experience with this one as I did the with The toxicity uh, of our city. Of our city, no, is it that buddy on the well. Oh hell yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, I when I saw this, so the first time I bought, and it probably is buried somewhere at my parents' house. But it was we were actually at a uh, yard sale, garage sale, whatever, and it was without a case. It was literally just a, a stack of of just open discs. CDs, discs. Yeah, that, that's that's what those are. Um, they were just on a table and next week we will learn what a square is. <laughs> um, and I saw, like, I just, I thought it looked really cool. You know, the, the actual CD to toxicity and it was like, they were just selling for a dollar and I was like, well, that's really hard to pass up. And again, this is when I actually had a CD player I bring to school. God, every fucking day. I mean, yeah, like, yeah toxicity, like, um, Jet fighter, <laughs> mutter, you know, mutter, and then uh, my dad had a ton of corn. He was really into corn. Um, my parents were so weird because they like they went to Family Values, they went to Ozfest, they you know like they. If you meet them, you're like you don't listen to metal. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they 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 did, um, but holy shit! I remember just like prison song. Uh, obviously, you know, Chop Suey, uh, Forest. I, I always Shimmy. think of Jet Fighter whenever I think of Toxicity. Yeah, I, Cause, I mean, because like I I love and hate that song at the same time. <laughs> I mean, again, this is another instance where um, oh, what, like, what what isn't bounce on that? Bounce, poke up, poke up, poke up. Yeah, like this poke is up, another poke up, poke up, bounce. <laughs> yeah, but it it's it's crazy how <laughs> like I just I love when bands make their stance known like really early. Like Prison Song is such a fucking overt. <laughs> Like, mm. it's, it's like, an incredibly... There's literally just uh, recordings of people reading out stats about how fucked up the American prison system is. Yeah. It's just... And, of course... Um, I mean, God, I really love every song on this, but the... Like, Chop Suey. Like, all the songs that are... Um, Aerials. Yeah, Aerials is an amazing song. Like, the title track. Um, and they... I, they get labeled as avant-garde metal by like some I think on Rate Your Music they're technically labeled avant-garde metal it's not but but... like on the same token like they're they really are weird like they're I guess you can call them alternative metal but they they they're their own thing they're their own beast and this god it's it's so good and um, this actually one one of the reasons I picked this it was weird because everything I just said about Mutter I was surprised at how heavy this album still sounded to me. Yeah. Like, it was weird that, like, the guitars, I was like, these are still, like, fucking slap. Like, these are, this is still some really beefy riffs. Um, oh, yeah, dude. So. Like, I mean, th- th- that Ariel's riff, I, like, I played that all the time when I was learning to play guitar. <laughs> like, even though you you had to technically, because it's in, it's in uh, drop C, 
mm-hmm. but I, I would just keep it on D, on drop D, and just, you know, just do it that way. It, like, wouldn't sound perfectly right, but I was just like, I don't give a fuck, you know? Mm. <laughs> no. Yeah, they, I haven't listened to Toxicity for so long now. I And, and that's yeah. why it just, it felt so... Um, it was oh, so... Science. Oh, my God. Science. I spelled. Yeah. Isn't... Oh, um, oh, what's the other one? Um, is Yeah, Psycho is on that. Psycho, Cocaine, Coke. Psy- yeah. Psycho, Cocaine, Crazy. Psycho, Brookie, Coke. Makes you high, makes you high. Makes, makes you really, really want to go. go. Stop. Which, I mean, not wrong. Uh, it really <laughs> would make you want to go. But that was the other thing that was so... It was the same thing with, with, with uh, Mutter is um, how like I could oh, so easily oh, sing along. What's the so, other like, one? Um... No, violent pornography is on that those like twin records, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, because I I just yeah I I used to be really into like the weirdest System of the Down songs you could find, <laughs> kind of like which like is a ones lot of them. The, like basically like the ones that sounded like Naked City before I even knew Naked City was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I could honestly so, that yeah I could totally see. Um, like at least how in some ways this is Naked City for people who don't who are like for, not for like corn fans. Yeah, exactly. Where oh, that's really good. <laughs> that almost sounds like an unintentional burn. Like you know, System of Down is just Naked City for corn fans. <laughs> See, I oh, I just I, I love how they're able to just turn on a dime. Yeah. I'm, I'm really gonna have to listen to this again because I just yeah there's so many tracks on on toxicity that I just adore um it, it, I think it's funny that it's like one of the few like I don't know like, they're so overtly political but like they also manage to make great music like they like they're like rage against the machine like in that like they managed to get that sweet spot where like their message didn't overshadow the fact that they had music to play like they were one and the same yeah and they they sprinkled in i mean i guess i could quickly glance at the lyrics while we're talking but you had songs like pogo where i i don't think pogo really was anything more than a short song about jumping on a pogo stick. yeah well, um, and showing it off to his girlfriends uh, or, or, or his girl and her friends i think i i th- th- that's what i remember of that of that song uh but yeah, no, I such a good album, dude. <laughs> yeah, and it was again, it was it was like I got really stoked when I saw it, you know, for three. I mean, again, technically two dollars more than I spent, but this time I got the CD case, so that was a good, yeah. that was a good feeling. There um, you go. I mean, if if you're just having like loose discs on a on a table, I feel like you kind of have to sell it for a dollar. Like you can't like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's ha- that's half the half the benefit of a CD is that it comes with a case. Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm I I I'm with uh, you there. Um, uh, yeah. So what what is your album of the week? Yeah. So I I, I actually had to look through my 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 journal too <laughs> to look for it. But uh, last week I was I was uh, cleaning my CD shelf because most of my room is just mostly dust at this time. You know, because just you know you you forget one week to clean your room, and one week turns into four. You know, etc. And so uh, I was trying to clean all the dust out of my CD uh, rack, and I was listening to this because I just gotten it in. And it is the first album, the self-titled album by the Black Queen, uh, which, for those who don't know, is uh, kind of like this weird, like synth-pop electronic project uh, headed by uh, Greg Pucciato from uh, the Dillinger Escape Plan. 
Hmm. And uh, I mean, I I'd known about this you know since it came out, but I just finally decided to just go and I just bought like both of the both of the albums. I think so, Black Queen and Infinite Games. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I love this one so much more. But I mean, the, the Infinite Games is good. But yeah, I this is such a good album, dude. Like I I really wish. Like I'd gotten this like sooner because it probably would have been cheaper too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's I, also we were talking about um, sort of you know sometimes there are CD spines that you can't like you kind of just glance over, and sadly I think Black Queen might be one of those because they don't have any text at all on their spines, so I I might just forget about it. And I really hope I don't because it's really good. Like this album sounds. Like, I wish that Ulver album sounded where they tried to, like, rip off Depeche Mode for an entire album. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's just super good. Greg always brings, like, his A-game no matter what he's doing. Oh, and yeah, it's for just, sure. Oh, it's just such a great, great album. So, yeah. There we go. <laughs> That's, yeah, I, I never listened to that, but I, I heard a lot of... Um, I heard a lot of good things. I it's, mean, I mean, definitely it's really good, dude. Uh, like, if you're in the mood for like Depeche Mode, but you don't want to listen to Depeche Mode, like this is like, I, I mean, I, I see, I, I feel like that's doing them a disservice because it's not like they're ripping Depeche Mode off, but like that's just like the easiest, you know, related band I can think of, kind of because it, it just like it has like that really moody synth pop sound that I think people are labeling dark wave which i've never understood but yeah yeah. i I mean again i think that kind of speaks to what we're talking about earlier it's you know a a comparative thing where like to them it's like oh this must be what dark wave is because they don't really yeah well i I think it's i I was saying it more ignore that that's the dog Mm. um more that just like dark wave is just it it's describing a lot of stuff because i mean technically dead can dance is a dark wave band but I, I just don't think the Black Queen and Dead Can Dance sound similar at all. <laughs> so, uh, but maybe that's just me. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is, uh, like, I don't want to sound like like a dick, but, like, I, I guess I'll just, I, I won't name well, any it, names. Actually, but... to, to be fair, like, they call Dead Can Dance neoclassical dark wave, I, know, I think. Which, which is, like, such a, like... But... If your genre takes multiple syllables, let's you know, let's tone it back, um, <laughs> or like too many syllables. But like, I, I, had a, I had a friend who was really excited about new sh- the new Shushu album, and like the way they were talking about it with me, I was like, you, you're not. <laughs> this is not like typically your thing. Which I mean, like, I wanted to be like, like, a, like a, you know, it's good. Like they're they're listening yeah. to you know music I'm not related to, you know, that they're not usually listening to, and I obviously I love Shushu, but it was funny like the way they were talking about it. Like, I feel like that's how we would talk about "Girl with Basket of Fruit." Uh, I was like, <laughs> like if you th- like if, if you think this is intense and dark, like, boy, do I have a back catalog! Oh for my you. god, so. I, I, I mean, this thing. I, I feel like we need to eat, end this episode soon before I just start pulling up "Girl with Basket of Fruit" lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> so when that album, I don't think I've ever told you the story, but when that album first came out, uh, I would just randomly out of nowhere because I like. I like having a rotation of phrases and things that will just annoy Lauren. Um, <laughs> so, like, I randomly would just be like... Secret to a healthy marriage. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. This is how we've stayed together for so long. Yeah. Um, but I'll just be like, girl, a basket of fruit. 
And she would, like, after a while, she'd be like, where the fuck is that from? Why are you saying, like, she got so annoyed. So then randomly one day, I literally sent her a text with every single fruit emoji available in the iPhone library. And then, like, I did, like, the, the girl emoji and then that and then, a ba- like, a, like the laundry basket. And she was just like, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very, thank you very much. So I, I'll send for my things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it, keep, yeah, keep the dog. Yeah, the, the, she, then she said, like, like, you know, a U-Haul will be coming on Saturday. Yeah. Put your shit out in due time. Oh, man. Oh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I think we need to we need to end this. Yeah, so. we're, we're pretty firmly off the rails at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, and we will be back next week. So, bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, if you're interested. Uh, you know, if you want to hear more, just, you know, listen to us on uh, iTunes, Pod, Apple Podcasts, Android Podcasts, anywhere you can get a podcast, basically. Uh, We're on all of it. Uh, if you follow us on Anchor, too, you know, whatever works for you. And uh, definitely be sure to follow us on Twitter. And if you ever have any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about or questions, anything like that, uh, be sure to email us. Yeah, uh, we're at, at Seishira Podcast on Twitter, and our email, I think, is Seishira Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, as always, thanks for listening. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Bye.